to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Welcome back, devotees. We're back with Scott from Histories, Mysteries, and Conspiracies. Yours has a nice role, and I like it. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it goes in between being a mouthful and having like a nice, like fun, rhymey-ish thing going on with it so yes and we've recorded this what i feel like it's been a month since we've recorded it's i think so actually it's been a very long time because the second time we tried to record my internet died (laughs) and then it tried to do it again today and then i've been busy and out of state multiple times it's just been a struggle but we're here now and i laughed because i shared on social media about the orange cone season and then I got stuck in orange coat season. It actually, it's kind of, I mean, well, I mean, it's not wrapping up here, but there's places where there's like, it like a month ago, it was terrible. And now they're, it's like, all, they're all done. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Usually they're not done until like October. So yeah. Anyone who's ever been to Columbus, Ohio can vouch like half of the city's freeways are constantly under construction. And I hadn't been to Columbus that long ago and I'm driving north and it just stopped. Like it's two lanes of traffic that just dead stops. And I'm like, are we playing the fun game? Is it an accident or is it construction? Or is it construction? Yes. I'm very familiar with that game. <laughs> and you're like, or is is everyone just pulled over by state highway patrol? Because that day I saw yeah. like five Ohio State Highway Patrol. And this is your constant reminder. Don't speed in Ohio because they will find you. I don't know if Michigan's with them. No, like in Michigan, I, it was funny because when we were driving down, because we were in Nashville, like we go for products. And when we were driving down, I was like, we're so lucky in Michigan that we have like 75 miles per hour speed limits. And people still go over, people still go like 80 and the cops go 80. I'll be going like 78 and cops are passing me and they do not care. And so, <laughs> and, but last, last year I went to Gen Con in august and we drove and that's in indiana and it was like 65 and my friend who was driving like just kind of you know wasn't quite paying attention he was going 80 and he got pulled over and the cop didn't give him a ticket which was super nice he just kind of gave him a warning but he um yeah it's michigan they don't really get pulled over for speeding all that often i mean there's like the occasional speed trap here and there but in general it's not that bad because your potholes i like i remember the last time i drove in michigan i almost fell in a pothole (laughs) yep and you're like my poor suspension it's a true enough statement when the fact that michigan pothole is a type of ice cream here that like every ice cream shop has i love it that is amazing yeah so i just thought that was too funny because i i legitimately had edited out like 15 minutes of us talking about that and then i was like what is this but it's funny because when i drove back yesterday there was like no construction (laughs) it's just one side it's just going northbound on the hell is real well there's a portion between cincinnati and columbus on 71 that you have one way you have the 10 commandments on two billboards oh the other way it says if you die tomorrow will you where will you go and then the next one is just hell is real so when the cincinnati and columbus soccer teams play each other it's known as the hell is real battle that's so funny (laughs) yeah you know that's hilarious the midwest just casually our billboards are religious fireworks and sex shops <laughs> you can't tell me that's not true i mean no it's pretty spot on yeah especially because like i mean I, I moved now but i was in like west michigan which is very very religious and there's churches everywhere my favorite is when there's like either a sex shop and a religious billboard or a church and a sex shop billboard that's like mm-hmm. the holy grail ones that you find okay so what do you know about haiti like the country Yes. Um, I know they had an earthquake. Yeah, this is a little bit before that. A few years ago, and (laughs) that's all I know. I really don't know a lot. So, we're going to talk about the Haitian Revolution. Ooh. Yes, they had the first revolution in the Caribbean and um, for uh, non-British colonies. Interesting, I didn't know that. So, let's first begin with our favorite friend, Christopher Columbus, that asshole. Oh, yes. What a guy. (laughs) So before he arrived in 1492, the native Teano people populated the island, which they called, and I'm so sorry for this, um, 
Quisicare, Mother of All Islands, and Ayati, Land of High Mountains, which Columbus gratefully renamed Hispaniola. Nice. Thank you, really. And there were five chiefdoms, Maren, Maragan, Maragana, Taragana, Taragana. I'm not good at pronouncing the, the J's, and uh, uh, Higen, and again, don't speak this language, so I'm sorry. It's a general full anytime I have to pronounce native names apology for the whole episode. So then our good friend Columbus comes back to the island on his second voyage and founds the first Spanish colony in the world, in the New World, the city of Isabella. You know, Isabella of Castile, gotta say thank you. Then in uh, 1496, his brother Bartholomew Columbus. It's so weird to have another person with the last name Columbus. It, it is weird. I didn't like. I didn't know he had a brother. I mean, like, pro- probably another brother, but like, I've never heard anything of his brother. So this is interesting. He had sons too, man. He was a terrible father. <laughs> oh, I, I could see it. Go back and listen to the Columbus episode. It's a lot of me just calling him an asshole. Oh, sounds good. Well, I'll check that one out. Um, he so Bartholomew. Which is weird because they're Italian and you don't think Bartholomew. That, okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Because I was like, I was like, wait, what, who's like, what is his nationality? Because I was like, how do you Genoese. get Christopher and Bartholomew? But okay, it's that's just the English Englishized version, Anglicized version of the words. He established uh, the settlement of Santo Domingo de Guzman on the southern coast, which would become the new capital. So they took the estimated. 400,000 Tayanos living on the island and enslaved them to work in gold mines because imperialism. Their numbers decreased uh, by 1508 to about 60,000 because, you know, forced labor, hunger, disease, and mass killings. So just the, the, the as we said in high school, the white men arrived and then the natives died. Yeah, for real. It's real. By 1535, only a few dozen were alive. So that's um, about 50-ish years. I'm not good at math, but about 50-ish to decimate 400,000 people. But wait, more imperialism. (laughs) You mean it gets worse? Yeah, yeah, I mean, pretty much. The French show up. Oh, okay. They love the Caribbean. So the western portion of Hispaniola was neglected by the Spanish authorities. So French buccaneers, a.k.a. pirates, were like, I'm going to tap that. (laughs) And began to settle on Tortuga Island, then the northwest of the island. They called it the Gran Terre. I don't speak French. (laughs) I think I did it on Duolingo once for like two days. And then I was like, "This this is hard. I was like, in French words, you pronounce like... 10% 10% of the letters, and I was like, I don't really, this isn't, not a fan, not a fan. I speak a decent amount of Spanish, so, and... Same, that's where I'm at. And I speak Andalusian Spanish, which is, you get the TH plus dropping thing, so... Oh, nice. That's what you get when you live there. Uh, so then the Spain was like, okay, we're gonna give you the western coast, France, because we're not gonna deal with this, and they retain the rest of the island. So then... The French called their portion Saint-Domingue, which is the equivalent of Santo Domingo. And the Spanish colony remained separate and would eventually become the Dominican Republic. Because remember, this island has two countries on it. It's not, it's a, it's a decent sized island, but for two countries, you're just like... How big is the island? Like how many, do you, do you know that? How many miles across? I can't figure that out. along with every other country in the world. Okay, we'll get both. Its length is nearly 400 miles or 658 kilometers, and it is 150 miles wide or 241 kilometers. You know. That's actually a little bit bigger than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's a decent-sized island. It's not like some of the islands of the Caribbean where you're like, oh, this is like four miles square. (laughs) Yep. I went on a cruise to the Bahamas, and yep. And where all the cruise lines own islands, mm-hmm. like their own private islands. And so we went on one of those and it was, it was very, very small. Yeah. And you're just like, well, I get how pirates were here because they're just like, I'm going to claim that island for a week and then we're going to move on. So prior to the Seven Years' War, 
which was uh, actually seven, seven, eight years because it's to 1756 to 63. So actually close, unlike the Hundred Years' War, which is way over 100 years. The economy of Saint-Domingue eventually expanded with sugar and later coffee becoming cash crops. So you see where this already enslavement cycle is gone and it's going to continue because those are very intensive crops. After the war, which really, because the Seven Years' War was, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, is one of the first kind of like global wars because it's between Europeans over their colonies. So then you got crossing the Atlantic and some fighting in the Pacific. The colony has a giant boom. They expand in 17. 17- 67, it exported 72 pounds of raw sugar. That's a lot of sugar. That is a lot of sugar. Especially for a, like to Europe, which didn't really have sugar before. So that's a lot. Um, and 51 pounds of refined sugar, 1 million pounds of indigo, and 2 million pounds of cotton. Wow. Yeah. It becomes known as the Pearl of the Antilles and one of the richest colonies in the 18th century French Empire. So... The French want to keep this, but also in your mental timeline of history, know that we're at Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette coming up. So that's the Sun King, right? Yeah. Or is it seventeenth that Marie Antoinette was married to? Oh, I can't remember. I get those those like. There's so many Louis. Last couple Louis. There's so many Louis. Yes, I was right. Woo! Okay. I had to read some Roman numerals. It's been a minute. So, yeah. So, just remember that in your French history timeline, that they're coming into their power around this period. But also, shit's about to go down. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, so pretty much, we know we're getting close to the American Revolution. It goes American Revolution, French Revolution, everything's on fire. <laughs> so... And then everything just remains on fire. Yeah, I mean, it goes, it gets down to coals where it's just simmering and then it's on fire again and then people put some water on it, but they don't put it out. Yeah, they just like, sprinkle it on. They're like, it's probably good. It's smoking a little bit, but that doesn't mean anything. It'll go out. It'll go out eventually. Insert the picture of my dad on our deck putting out a fire from the from the deck. That would, he, he's, he's burning our deck because he needs to rebuild it. So he's burning the, the mm-hmm. planks. But we had to go to dinner. So he's on the deck in dress clothes with a hose burning the fire about 10 feet away. And I took this picture and I said, this is why I love my father. I was say, this sounds like a meme. Like, it's like, it reminds me of like the little girl smiling creepily in front of the fire. Well, it's extra creepy fire. because I took the picture from my bedroom window, which is like directly above Because <laughs> I just, I was getting ready and I looked out the window and I was just like, yeah. What is going on? I was like, there was uh, about 20 minutes ago, there was a really decent sized fire happening. And now all there is is smoke. Country living, guys. It's great. You can burn shit. No one says anything. That's so true. (laughs) So this colony, roughly the size of Hawaii or Belgium, produced more sugar and coffee than all of the British West Indies colonies. Um, Yeah, so they're beating up the British. Who are they beating up? The British West Indies. <laughs> Not the breast Indies. Um, <laughs> I haven't even made the mistake I've been making for like two weeks, which is not realizing I only bought regular allergy medicine, which means it's drowsy. Oh, no. Yeah. Dude, I'm a Zyrtec or Allegra person. Neither of those are drowsy. Oh, it was. It was... Highly recommend. Yeah, I have to go get some more today because I need to breathe during the day. It's fine. Who needs to breathe? Uh, yeah, so they are beating out the British West Indies, and anyone who knows British-French relations through most of history, they are like the sharks and the jets with occasional marriages across the channel. Really, it takes the Germans for them to be friends. And they were generating enormous revenue for the French government, which is good, because the French monarchy likes to spend. If you've ever seen pictures of Versailles, you're like, <laughs> man, that's a lot of gold and shiny things everywhere. And it's huge, and those gardens, and... Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, I said this was about a revolution. We've not gotten there. But relationships on the island are mainly white landowners who 
have a mixture of free and mulatto blacks on the island. And in 1758, the white owners on Hispaniola begin to restrict rights and create laws to exclude, exclude mulattoes and blacks, establishing a really rigid class system, which hadn't really existed before. Especially because, do you want to guess the ratio of white to black people on the island? It's a good one. Um, let's say six to one. A little higher, ten to one. <laughs> oh, wow. So this class system, not a great idea. And then in France, because they're ruling over the island, this half the island, the majority of the estates general, an advisory body to the king, constituted itself as a national assembly and again made radical changes to French laws. On August 26, 1789, published the Declaration of the Human Rights of Man, declaring all men free and equal. Notice the key thing in there. Doesn't give you race, just all men, not women, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. Uh, and of course, we begin the French Revolution. It's very complicated. I'm not covering it now because it's going to take a lot of minutes that we don't want to do. But basically, as the French Revolution begins stirring and shaping France, it is also shaping its empire. So the island at first was like, this sounds great, this human declaration for the rights of man, it's going to be awesome. The wealthy whites were like, awesome, independence for us, we're going to rule this half of the island, we're awesome. Elite planners really intended to take control of the island and create trade regulations to further their wealth and power. So the top 1% was like, we're going to become more 1%-y. <laughs> if you think... We're going to do it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be so it. hard, guys. We're going to work for you. And then they're like... It's such a struggle for we're us. We're going to Scrooge McDuck this with like rooms full of gold. I guess sugar, it would be sugar. Rooms full of sugar. Which seems worse because it's... The Caribbean, so it's hot and sweaty. I think it's sticky, too, yeah. <laughs> well, between 1791 and 1804, the leaders of... Mm, getting some French in here. Francois, Dominique Toussaint Louverture, and Jean Jacques de Salines led the re revolution against the slave system established on the island. So they really were going to take down the largest, sorry, the third largest source of income to France because slavery on Saint-Domingue, along with all the other Caribbean islands in the colonial empire, was a big moneymaker. Because again, remember, everything you learned in school, sugar is a very labor-intensive crop. Cotton is a labor-intensive crop. So you need to constantly replenish the people who are farming that because they're not good people. These leaders, so Toussaint Lothreau and the Salines were inspired by the Hugans, sorcerers or priests of Haitian voodoo, Guten Guti Buchanan, and Francois Bacandel. It looks like Mac and Andel Bacandel. <laughs> so this is going to come into their ideas. Well, we see an overturn in power in uh, 1792 with Leger There's so much French. And I'm trying so hard to be nice about it. You're doing a really good job. Just just fake it till you make it. Okay. Leger Fessise Sonzerax was the de facto leader of Saint-Domingue. He was a French Girondist, an abolitionist during the French Revolution who controlled 7,000 troops on the island during the revolution. His official title was civil commissioner, but when his... Within a year of this, he really expands beyond his committee of public safety. So he's like, yeah, I see this power. I'm going to take it because this needs to be tamped down. Sonrax believed that the Saint-Domingue whites, mostly who were of Spanish descent, were either royalist or separatist conservatives attached to independence or to Spain. And it was a way to preserve the slave plantation. So he wants to keep that system in place because he you know, wants to set up a separate government, but he wants it to, to still look pretty similar. So he attacked the military power of white settlers and alienated the colonists from the French government because he is representing the French government. 
at this point, which is pretty much on fire at this point. If you know anything about the French Revolution, it there's like two years where it's semi like simmering, and then it's just on fire with a lot of guillotining and lists. And this is how Madame Tussaud starts because she makes death smacks. That's your fun fact of the episode. <laughs> so. Many gens de couture, or mixed-race residents of the colony, asserted that they could form the military backbone of Saint-Domingue if they were given rights. So, you know, you're like, oh, that seems fair. They're probably, like, a, ma- like a decent majority of the people. Uh-uh-uh. Sonrax rejected this view as outdated in the wake of the August 19- 1791 slave uprising. So the slaves up- like rose up, and he tamped it down. He's like, I see what you're trying to do. He believed that Saint Domingue would need ex-slave soldiers among the ranks if the colonial army was to survive. Although he didn't originally intend to flee the slaves, by October 1793 he ended slavery in order to maintain power. So he's like, necessity, let's free the slaves, which is kind of the really big first step in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. That's interesting. That was actually kind of surprising to hear yeah, that. Yeah, you wouldn't think it was a French colony. Because, you know, the British haven't done it yet. Not till 1820s. Just random facts in my head, guys. You just, you just know. You just know. I've read a lot on British abolition. Um, so, 1799. We're almost to the 1800s. <laughs> the black military leader, Toussaint Lafayette, brought under the French rule a law which abolished slavery, and then embarked on a program of modernization. So he was like, I'm taking over. So he kicks out our good friend, Sonrax, and he he's really known as like kind of this hero of the Haitian Revolution. So if you want to learn more about the Haitian Revolution, I really suggest you look up Toussaint Lothro. There's a really good biography on it that I read for class that I cannot remember right now. So he had become the master of the whole island. He had kind of been working his way up through the revolution, being consistent, being good. He was a self-educated former domestic slave like Jean-Francois and Busso. He initially had fought for the Spanish crown in this period because, remember, there's two colonies on one island. And so the Spanish ever nosy in this period because they're like, you guys make a lot of money. We would like some more money. And they're interfering as well. So anytime there's a revolution happening, you should always assume there's another colonial power weaseling their way in. So the British had invaded as well, Saint-Domingue. And really what swapped Lothreau over to the French side was they were like, we're going to free all the slaves. So Sonorax had agreed to that. So Lothreau was like, okay, cool. I'll fight for the French now. Because really you have to think if you're a freed slave, or you're a former slave, you have to think for your best interest. If, so, like, say, the British or the Spanish are going to keep the status quo, and the Spanish didn't have the best reputation in regards to slavery, if you've ever heard of the Black Legend, that's where, you know, it really paints the Spanish out as this colonialism, imperialism boogeyman. Yeah. They did some good things. They did a lot of bad things. But so did the other imperialistic powers, so... We're not shaming one, we're shaming all. <laughs> so, Lothro, after the free, uh, Sonrax frees the slaves, works under the French general Etienne Lavarex, who, and like pretty much their job was to make sure all the slaves were actually free. So, yay on them for holding up their end of the bargain. He brought his forces over to the French side on May 6, 1794, after basically the slavery issue, and then he takes over portions of uh, forces that were made up of former slaves, winning concessions from the British and expelling Spanish forces. So it's a very successful military uh, revolution. And in the end, he the reason why he becomes the ruler is he restored control of Saint-Domingue to France, and he was still very intelligent, organized, and articulate. So they really didn't have a reason not to like him, yeah. except for he was a former slave, but he was like, I'm educated, bitches. I don't know how to say that in French, but if someone does, please, please, please comment with it. Well, don't comment because then we don't know how to read it. Maybe like 
send a video. Oh, yes. Please do that, too. Either or. Make a GIF of it. <laughs> yeah. And Descent had become master of the island, and he's like, ooh, I don't feel like giving this back to France because my people are free, and you guys aren't here. Also, your country's on fire. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so, don't got a lot going here. No. He begins ruling effectively as an autonomous entity, and he is actually successfully defended against local rivals. So, remember, there's still rich white people there who are like, I can do this better than you. And he's like, hold my beer. I got you. <laughs> but, remember, French Revolution. Who's the victor? Our good friend Napoleon. And he comes to power in November 1799. So then he he's like, Okay, we got to get everything back under control because we were on fire for so long that the edges of the colonies are getting ideas, and we're not about that because we're France. He passed a new constitution declaring that colonies would be subjected to special laws. Among these, like, colonies are like, um, are you going to reintroduce slavery? Because we are not about that. But Napoleon begins by confirming Toussaint's position and promising to maintain abolition, which is amazing when you think about it like that really is that's like i'm actually quite surprised that's pretty that's pretty cool you would expect him to go and tamp it down but oh yeah he's really i think they're just all so tired i that's what i was just gonna say i was like i think it's just like overwhelming and it's like you're done and you're just like hey you just you just take care of this okay you just i'm just gonna i'm just gonna be here yeah Mm -hmm. and Toussaint was doing a great job. So, I mean, he's like, okay, you're you're doing a good job. I've got to deal with this. You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, throw some Mama Kardashian at me. So, and plus, Napoleon, remember, he's got to go down into Spain. He's going to try to go into Russia in winter, which is a dumb idea. But he tried. He does give Toussaint um, some rules. You know, he's like, hey, you can't go over to the Spanish side of the island as it would have given him a more defensive position. So like half the mountain, like half, get how the geography, the geography is made up where like the Dominican Republic side, I think it has better military advantages compared to the Haitian side. So mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, you can keep power, but you're not going to have a good strong military position in case I do need to come take this back. Because I am Napoleon. Sorry, I throw a really bad French accent in there somewhere. Well, it's, it, yeah, it was bound to happen. So Yeah. Then January 1801, Toussaint and Hyacinthia Mose invaded the Spanish settlements. You know, they broke that rule. Taking the possession of the from the governor, Don Garcia, with uh, not too much struggles or difficulties. They were like, and thank you. This is mine now. He then promulgated the Constitution of 1801 and officially established his authority as Governor General for life. So this is where you're like, for life part, sir? No problem with that. But over the entire island of Hispaniola, confirming most of his existing policies. So, I mean, he was doing a good job. And you're like, "Uh, okay. It kind of makes more sense for that island to be united. But what we know now is it doesn't stay that way. Yeah. I mean, it feels like like on a small island like that, having two colonies next to each other, it's just, I feel like they'd step on each other's toes a lot. They di- Luckily for us, they divided it straight down the middle. Um, but it just, I could definitely see like a lot of like, well, you have this, well, you have this, well, you have this. And like, it just mm. gets crowded, you know? Oh, oh yeah. Like, that's like the big problem. Actually, the Dominican Republic is the majority state sorry my bad i had to double check but there's a lot of mountains in there and i the haitian side i think is more flat so if you're gonna like come take things yeah they're broken up by mountain ranges so it makes sense why yeah so article three of the constitution states quote there cannot exist slaves in santa domingue servitude is therefore forever abolished all men are born free live and die free and like you're like yes Thank you. We're good. But <laughs> during this time, Napoleon Bonaparte met with uh, the refugee planters. Because remember, they were the rich white planters and they were like, I'm out. 
And they were like, yeah, we really need slavery back in Saint-Domingue. It's really how we made all that money is on the backs of people who didn't want to be there. And we worked them so hard that they died. We paid them in housing and one day off if they were like so napoleon's like hmm i i agree we need money because remember france was on fire napoleon's trying to put out the fire and put the country back together and you need money to do that yeah especially because they destroyed a lot of the rich people's houses so a lot of that money has been dispersed through that we're the people who survived that just took it with them he sent an expedition of more than 20,000 men to Saint-Domingue in 1802 to restore French authority. He put forward the French Civil Code, where he affirmed the political and legal equity of all men. He established a merit-based society in which individuals advance through education and employment rather, uh, because talent rather than birth or social standing. And like you're like, okay, but the situation of like former slaves and people of mixed race had not improved. So when you see those people coming, it's, yeah, they're like, um, you're back. We're not a fan. We weren't a fan before. (laughs) This had really, you know, culminated in the the elimination of slavery and had bound, like, bonded that country to found the Haitian Republic. On top of it, remember, who hates Napoleon besides everyone? I, I well, you've kind of covered it with everyone, but yeah, it's really the British. And what do we know about the British at this time? They love their boats. And how do you send? You have to send twenty thousand men to go on a boat. But when um, like Nelson is chilling there outside your like front door, and being like, "Hey, Napoleon, you want to leave? Nah, you can't leave." So those twenty thousand men were like pretty much left. And this is what kind of what leads to Napoleon to sell. The Louisiana Purchase to Jefferson because he's like, I need money. I can't send people over there. The British are being dicks again. How dare they? How dare they? Throughout most of their history, they're like, the British are being dicks again. And you're just like, <laughs> how dare they? How dare they? I'm sure you're not mutually just being assholes to each other, but sure. It's just one of you. Napoleon's like, um, I'm kind of done with the West, whole Western Hemisphere. It's I'm over it. I'm going to focus on Russia. Russia seems cool. It's like, that was, that was... The West was just, you know, that was yesterday. But so yesterday. The East, it was so yesterday. The East is the future. Yeah. You must go East to the very freaking cold, coldest butthole on this planet. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Russia. <laughs> but not. So we have, he, he basically gives up on it for a minute. And at this point, the country is made up with a minority of state officials and civil servants who are exempt from manual labor, including some freed colored Haitians. So you have some colored mixed population who are in these positions. But many of the former slaves and slaves had to work hard to survive. And they're getting hungry because, let me tell you about uh, cash crop islands. They always imported their food because why waste land on food when you can plant sugar legitimately? It's less cost-effective, though. Uh-huh. Because that's why, like, Iceland, they have to have all of their... Like, everything is an import. Like, everything. So, uh, you go to Iceland, and it's so expensive. Like, you want you want a glass of beer? It costs you, like, 20 bucks. And it's, it's so expensive just because everything is imported. They don't make anything there. Or what they do, it's, like, it's so hard to do. It's expensive because of all the labor that's put into it. Yeah. But their thought, it was also, it's not great for the soil to just plant one thing that depletes one thing. So on top of it, remember, the slave population was uneducated and only was really skilled in farming or doing certain things. So they're technically considered unskilled labor. So they can't, they're not like carpenters because they would probably have a white, like, or mixed person do that. I feel like farming is a skilled labor. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I can't, can't even grow a plant in a pot, so. <laughs> but they also had been under, like, really authoritarian control. So they were told what to do, when to do it, and, like, everything like that. So, like, I think some of them did pick it up, 
but a lot of them because we're just doing it exactly like it's like doing doing a recipe like following a recipe versus just knowing how to cook yeah also remember it's really labor intensive so it would burn through populations that's why the caribbean never had a self-sustaining slave population but americas did because they were like they were like okay we need to do something different sugar doesn't allow for that cotton fortunately did so suzanne whose former privilege um position as a slave of a tolerant white master felt some sort of you know he was more okay with the white population there where Dissalines, a former field slave hated them because his interactions with them were not great you know but it's really because as everyone knows to keep slaves slaves they were not very nice and it was you know chaining people while they slept making them work 18 hour days you sleep near like you would sleep in the fields where you worked like it was horrible so napoleon's troops got past the blockade finally arrived and they're under the command of napoleon's brother brother-in-law because he was a big fan of nepotism in his generals when he sent people to do things general charles charles emmanuel Lecoq, uh, and he was like you know what general charles was like i'm gonna try to get this island by diplomatic means because there's twenty thousand of us there's more people on the island charles they proclaimed peaceful intentions they came off the boat were like we want to be friends but kept secret his orders to deport all black officers so not great no that's kind of a stupid move if i it's like do you want to start a revolution because that's how you start revolutions do you want to continue this revolution and lose the island because that's how you lose an island yeah so Tussaud was preparing for defense and ensuring discipline and really uh this may have it contribute to a further rebellion against forced labor by his nephew and top general Moyes in October 1801. So there's revolutions within the revolution. It's a Russian nesting doll of revolutions. Because <laughs> if you think about it, it's like you have the French Revolution, within that you have the Haitian Revolution, and we should, within the Haitian Revolutions, you have multiple smaller revolutions. Yeah, like the, like, like Les Mis. I learned that in my class. They're like, Les Mis is not the, it's part of the French Revolution, but it's not the French Revolution. It's like a smaller revolution. It's, it's a ripple effect revolution. An aftershock revolution, going with an earthquake metaphor. There we go. Well, Toussaint, um, no, it's not Toussaint. Toussaint, uh, tamp that, you know, rebellion down. So when the French ships had arrived, not of all of Saint-Domingue was on Toussaint's side. So there was some, like, riffing behind the scenes. They're like, I don't like him. And people are like, but he's doing so good. But did you see what he did with that rebellion? And yeah, so that's going to lead to greatness. So the riffing happening on Saint-Domingue, it's not helping Toussaint. Toussaint um, the island was quiet under Napoleonic rule for a few months, but then people were like, wait, you're going to reinstitute slavery because, first of all, this is kind of dumb. They reinstituted it on another island called Guadalupe. So, the Salins and Petition switched sides again in October 1802 and fought against the French in late. Um, so, this, so, then there's like more infighting because earlier, Lorec fought permission to land at Cape. Francis and Christopher held, like, so there's, like, infighting again. Lorette dies of yellow fever, like, much of his army, because remember, we're in the Caribbean. Yellow fever is real problems. Well, his successor, Vicomte de Chamberto, fought a brutal campaign. So he's the one who's pushing all the, like, French loyalists around. So he's the French loyalist side. <laughs> but he was so brutal that all the French loyalists were like, yeah, we're going to go with the rebels. Y'all are crazy, killing everyone, doing crazy shit. We're not about it. We're crazy. Not that crazy, though. Black slaves captured by the French army, speaking of crazy things, like our friend MacEndel, was uh, burned alive at the stake, which, fun fact, you actually die of carbon monoxide poisoning. You don't actually burn to death, because you suffocate. Wow. 
That's actually, like, that's really interesting, first of all. That's also really, really, it makes me feel a lot better. Because <laughs> I'm always like, that is, like, the worst death to be burned alive, but... I mean, it takes, it still I mean, it burn, it takes it hours. Hurts, yeah. But still, like... You take hours to die, but... I think it's, like, at a certain point, like, there's so much carbon monoxide and so much smoke that you're breathing and you just... I know, like, people in fires generally die just because of the smoke, not because of the fire. The French were really abusing the people of Saint-Domingue, mostly the black population. The slave population had already had severe food shortages, because remember, they plant mostly sugar. That is not conducive for a population. You can't live off of sugar. Well, that's what, you know, you think, but look at America go. <laughs> America! Sugar! Yeah, so they were also subjected to brutal forced rural labor, so they're like, how about no? Let's not do this. Let's revolt again. So the islanders revolt against their new masters and the French, which brought more French troops into the island. They pulled them all in. This is also partially the reason why Napoleon was so willing to sell the Louisiana Purchase to Jefferson, because he's like, I got more problems. (laughs) He's like, I've got 99 problems, and Empire is literally half of them. The other half is, we've just chopped off a lot of people's heads. But A lot of blood. A lot of blood. There's a lot of blood all over the world that I need to, like, deal with. So the people begin a series of attacks on the owners of sugar and coffee plantations. The French soldiers were sent to quell the revolution in Saint-Domingue. But remember, Caribbean. These are Europeans. So guess who comes up? Yellow fever and all the mosquito diseases. And it killed half the army. Nice. (laughs) Crushing it. So, you know mosquitoes. MVP. Always MVP. I hate them though. Like, I mean, I know MVP, but like, they love me. I literally have like, like I have a mosquito bite right here on my arm. I have like mosquito, like eight mosquito bites on my legs, and that's after using forty percent DEET while I was outside. They love me. Oh, I'm the same way. I it, the worst is when you're with people who mosquitoes don't bite, and they're like, I'm fine. I'm not even wearing anything. And I'm I, like, I'm I'm literally doused i took a bath in deep before this and i'm still mm-hmm. struggling on top of it the british are blockading everything because they love a good blockade really big fans big blockade person big blockade country they're like you know what this this war needs a blockade, blockade. <laughs> do you know what i got my daughter for christmas a blockade <laughs> so this Elise led the rebe- until its completion when the French forces were finally defeated defeated in 1803. Remember, this kind of, like, the, the grumbling started in 1758 and really didn't pick up till the French Revolution. So, was luck. So, Desailly's rules, and he wasn't great in that he slaughtered and massacred the white population, and I like that the source I found said, wholesale! <laughs> Which is horrible. Oh my gosh. So this brutality shocked foreign governments because they're like, okay, sure you won. And he's just like, all the top one percenters, okay, bye. Which also is not great, a great idea. But I, the reason why I believe he did it was they were always the ones going back and causing problems. Even when they were like, they fled. But again... Killing all of them, not the answer. I know it's a history true crime podcast, but again, don't advocate towards massacres or killings. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't, no, it doesn't work. It's not what you should do. And the last battle, the Battle of Vitaris, occurred in November 803 near Capenhutin. When the French uh, withdrew, they actually only had 7,000 troops. So they kind of, like, lost that and just, like, mass exodus on their ships. Remember how many they came with? 20,000 plus some extra bits? So, post-revolution. They've now won. It's always the question you get. You won the revolution. What you gonna do? We're going to Disney World. A.K.A. we're going to Florida. Uh, Florida at this point is Spanish, so probably don't. Probably not, yeah. Haiti did not try to support or aid any other slave rebellions because they feared 
the great powers would take renewed action against them, which actually the Spanish did a few years after their revolution. So they're like, hmm, we're going to protect ourselves. Okay, thanks. And the white wealthy landowners thought they were going to preserve their power. They really attacked any like symbols of political power and plantation, like, or sorry, uh, the attack town halls, which had representatives of the defeated French authority, elite planners took control of the former Spanish side of the island, which kind of, you know, led to the Spanish coming back. And so it's really, it's really created this unstable system left over. Why you, it's why Haiti, because they, they massacred those in the know, did not have any sort of, like, they they had struggled with rebuilding that knowledge base. Mm -hmm. And so they struggled for a while. And then they continuously have these problems of corruption. They, I mean, it's not as bad as the Spanish machismo problem that comes about in their former colonies. But you still see the corruption because that education level on how do you govern was taken out. And the native method of governing had been killed out through European imperialism. Yeah, so everybody's dead, and we don't know what to do, basically. Yeah, and unfortunately now, like, Haiti still struggles with some of the same problems, and then the earthquake really didn't help. Yeah. They just flattened everything. They actually have, like, the highest rates of, like, I believe cholera, and all these diseases that were like, uh, we thought we got rid of those. Yeah, wow. I don't know. So, yeah, and just because the way the system is, it just is very imbalanced. It, it stemmed out of these ideals, like, we're going to get rid of slavery, we're going to, like, take our, because we are this really rich colony, we're going to take it and make it into our own. And then there was no planning. It was just defeat the French, defeat the next enemy, defeat the next enemy, where you see really successful revolutions there is a component of planning as they go. Like, the French Revolution, yes, they killed a bunch of people, but they were also planning. Yeah. The American Revolution, planning. The Mexican Revolution had some planning. They planned a one-party system, but still, some planning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's the Haitian Revolution in a very quick time frame. That was very interesting. I never knew, like, I mean, like I said at the beginning, I didn't really know a lot about Haiti or anything. So that was that was really interesting. So do you want to plug... Your podcast? Yeah, so I'm the host of Histories, Mysteries, and Conspiracies, and we're about dogs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're about histories, mysteries, and conspiracies. It's pretty obvious. Um, <laughs> it would be a great turn, but we're actually about dogs. <laughs> Everyone, all the reviews are like, this is a lie. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we're kind of like same tone, light, fun, brief, like very brief introductions to certain topics, and we don't really de- do deep dives into anything. But we can find us at HMCT Podcast on Instagram, at Podcast HMCT on Twitter, and um, we have a website with show notes, and you can find all social links on there as well, which is historiesmysteriesconspiracies.com. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming back, even though it was a struggle. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we got it worked out. I'm glad I learned about Haiti. This was fun. Yeah. Okay, devotees. We'll see who's here next time and what we're gonna talk about. Bye. Bye. You know, when you just get really bored with doing insurance, so you're just like, I just want to kill somebody. And you do. So it's theorized that they took blood from another corpse at the hospital. There was actually reports of a suicide in France that night. Which would give you the CO2 poisoning. poisoning. And she starts like gesturing with her hands. Like she's talking to somebody. Okay. But there's nobody there. I'm Skye, the host of Histories, Mysteries, and Conspiracies. Join me and a guest every week as we discuss a new story. Find us at historiesmysteriesconspiracies.com. Be your weird self. <sighs> I've been listening to a ton of true crime podcasts lately, but you know, there's just not enough conspiracy theories in it. What about international crime? But what about the psychological aspect? I mean, what were they thinking? Yeah, but who's talking about cults and even paranormal stuff? Hey, wait, that's us. It's Murder Buzz. We're a podcast of four friends talking about the things we love the most. Join us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, anywhere that you get your podcasts every Monday morning. And if you haven't gotten enough of us yet, 
We are on Twitter at MurderBlows and Instagram at MurderBlowsCast. So come on, come hang out with us or listen to us every Monday. Thanks so much. Bye. Hey guys, July 13th is coming up soon. And if you want to meet me and a bunch of my podcasting friends, about 80 of them, come down to the True Crime Podcast Festival at the Marriott downtown, right on the Magnificent Mile, you know, right by the Bean in that beautiful park. So I'm excited to see some of my favorites. All Crime, No Cattle, Ignorance Was Bliss, Nature versus Narcissism, Paranormal Chicks, The Getting Off Podcast, Dark Routine. All of your indie favorites are going to be there, as well as a lot of the big names. This is a full day event, and the sooner you sign up, the cheaper it's going to be. So make sure you sign up soon. And there's going to be meet and greets. I'll be there. Um, I have ordered some things. So if you're there, you might get some exclusive goodies. And, you know, there's some amazing events going on. Some panels like, uh, you know, Getting Off and LA Not So Confidential are doing a live episode as part of this, there's also amazing panel with uh, court junkie, misconduct, and pretend radio. So really, why haven't you bought your tickets yet? I already have, and I hope to see you there. Cults of Domesticity, we're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word, or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts, and our Instagram is at the Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, As well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.